Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore, with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and this podcast is a form of therapy. It is meant for those that are identified as victims of abuse or victims of addiction. I'm an adult survivor of childhood sex abuse, and I have been in therapy, individual. I have been in institutions, and I am in group therapy. Today's reading comes from Frost. It is entitled Mending Wall. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of the hunters is another thing. I have come after them and made repair, where they have left not one stone on a stone. But they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs, the gaps, I mean. No one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time, we find them there. I have I let my neighbor no, beyond the hill. And on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go to each the boulders that have fallen to each. And some are lows and some no nearly balls. We have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game. One on a side, it comes to a little more. There where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine, and I am apple orchard. My apple tree will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are not cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I asked to know, what am I walling in or walling out? And to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone grasp firmly by the top in each hand, like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness as it seems to me, not of woods only in the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well. He says again, good fences make good neighbors. That was the poem Mending Wall by Robert Frost. Well, dear friends, um, 
this is going to be another show that is not really based on group therapy. This is uh, something that I'm going through right now. I, uh, I don't know if you've been following the one prior to this, but my mother fell and she wound up in ER in the hospital and then in a nursing home. And for the first time in a couple of weeks, there has been some quiet. Uh, I have to tell you that uh, although I've been through this before with my father, this time around it is almost all exhaustion. To tell you that I am tired would be an understatement. And in this time period, doing paperwork and talking to people, talking to everybody, CNAs, doctors, lawyers, specialists, it's like a phone orgy, but one you don't enjoy. I know that's horrible, but that's what this is for, feelings, and that's how it feels. Because I have started the task of going through her stuff. She lived in a senior housing compound. She lived on her own. That's the way she wanted it. But now it is highly unlikely that she's going to be able to live that way. And so I had to go through the sequence. And as I've been going through her stuff, my own feelings about her, maybe I was too harsh. Maybe I was just pissed, I don't know. But I go through all the knickknacks and, and the bubble wrap and the boxes and the boxes and the bubble wrap and, and the dishes. And, well, I haven't got to the dishes yet. But she has a lot of stuff. But I have also found some of the stuff from my dad's that I thought that she had gotten rid of, but she didn't. And a few days ago, I came across some of this stuff from my sister. I had thought that she had gotten rid of all that as well. But maybe it is that we don't talk, or maybe she has secrets. But in going through all of her stuff, at this part of her life, to the passerby, she appears to be old, aged, at the end of it. But that's not really the whole story, because everybody, at some level, is nothing but a time machine. They're bound by natural law. Everyone had a youth. Every, everybody had that, that long summer. Everybody had a work history. Everybody has accomplishments. And in going through some of her photo albums, I began to realize that uh, this old, aged woman that is now blind and hard of hearing 
using a walker, used to be young and vibrant. She used to have a really good life. Now it doesn't really matter if she's a good person now or back then. I believe I already told you what I thought. But the thing is, is that she did have a past. And you have to take time to go through that. You see, my mom had set up a, a plan that when she passed away, all of these things would be given to my sister. Well, Marie died. And when Marie died, mom decided to go and say, give everything to my sister, my aunt. And then Aunt Diane died. And so now the, the storage unit that I was able to find in the same town of the nursing home, even for a short period of time, that is the recipient of all of her stuff. And the, the things that she's been able to communicate to me, there was a large mirror that she had. It was rather expensive. She told me to give that to my grandma. And then my grandma said, you can't put her photos in storage. Give them to me. And so I did. I put them in the hutch that also belonged to my mother. And in those photos, those are just pieces. I guess that's the proof that my mother was once young. And yet, you still have to act upon them. You have to take time. Those photos, they had been there the whole time in the shelf in her place, and I walked past them hundreds of times. And it had been a long time since I had actually taken time to look at them. Because in there, there were her side of the family, my dad's family, uh, grandma and grandpa. There's Norway, there's France, there's World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. There's a lot of stuff in there. And that stuff belongs to her and those that came before her. And in order to keep that going, I had to actually look at it and acknowledge it. And then, then there were things that were dealing with her present because she's had a couple walkers. I had to get her a bigger one, although she's down to like 130 pounds. It's got a very nice flip seat on it. It's got a little bit more of a, it's got more of a cushion. So she did hurt her hip when she fell, so it's a little bit better for her. It's more comfortable. 
but there was the walker and then the canes and the bedside commode and all the, all the trappings of what it is to age. And then there was the paperwork, now the paperwork. Jesus Christ on a pogo stick. I tell you right now, I know some of you have chimed in about, about what it is to, you know, healthcare and, and old age and, and retirement in your countries. And okay, I am an American and yes, I know. I know that getting sick and growing old in America is prickly. And for you, the American appears to be cold-hearted. Unless you're wealthy. Generally speaking, the American, they have nothing going on. There is no help. I mean, I'm working with the VA, I'm working with the union, um, the pension, Social Security, Medicare, uh, all these programs, all these, all these paper cuts. And all she wants to do is just live her life. Now she's getting physical therapy five times a week. And there is something wrong. There's still something. There's still some muscular atrophy in that left, in her calves, really. But things are improving. She is a little bit more stable. But this new reality is taking a toll because she, her sadness is now turning into anger. Because I believe that up until the time that she fell, I don't really think that she thought that she was old or that she was in need of help. She's extremely stubborn. And I suppose some people are just meant to keep fighting until they drop. And I think she's one of them. She's always gonna want things done her way regardless of the price. And there's always a, a sense of control because even, even with the different programs, Social Security and VA and then the union, everybody wants to be able to control where the money goes and then they want to know what's going on with the facility, but almost none of them, almost none of them, with the exception of the VA, um, services officer, nobody ever asked me how she was doing, my mother. And I have to tell you, that was a little bit salt in the wound, because there are programs specifically built for the elderly. And going through all the paperwork, it is insane, it is insanely difficult. And I don't, I mean, at this point in time, if you're still listening, um, you know how many times I've told you that I'm extremely intelligent. But some of these programs and their rules, their protocols, I have to wonder 
who the fuck put them in play because they couldn't have been a person that had someone that was going to use him because they're absolutely impractical. And I mean, you can tell me that you care about people and you, you want to help people, you want to be in the, in the, in the social sciences and, and stuff like that, but you actually, you know, you're, you're going to have to get away from the desk, you're going to have to close the book, um, you're going to have to shut off your computer, and you're going to have to deal with somebody that is going through something. And that something may be traumatic. And telling yourself that you're doing something for someone, this is my job. Okay, that's your job, but are you any good at your job? Just because you want to be a social worker, just because you want to be in a nursing home setting, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should, because you have to have a certain skill set, and in the in the social sciences, you, you have to embrace humanity. You can't be an asshole like me. You, you need to be a person. There needs to be empathy. There needs to be kindness. And there needs to be time. Because without fail, at least one person in that nursing home, every single time that I have gone in there to see my mother, at least one of them, they want to talk. Because when you look at them, they're just waiting to die. I mean, they go through all the, um, well, they go through all the procedures, they get their meds, and they go to the beautician, and the, you know, they, they go through the, the community craft work or whatever, but they're just waiting to die. And you just don't want them to suffer. But I think that waiting is suffering. Because when you're at the end of your life and somebody is trying to tell you, it's like, look, we're trying to make you as comfortable as possible. You have to accept the fact that maybe what you're doing is prolonging the pain. When I think about my mother, her birthday is coming up, and so is my grandma's. My grandma, my mom, and Marie, they all gave birth to each other when they were 20. So 98, 78, and 58. And grandma, that's a tough one. She's already buried two of her kids. She already buried her oldest granddaughter.
And I have to tell you that every time that I see her cry, I go a little berserk. I would do anything for her. But I think that when you outlive your heart, being old is just being old. It isn't noble, it isn't righteous, it's just being old. People can throw you a party whenever they want. People can, wow, man, that's amazing. Because now when my grandma talks, I mean, even, even well, every once in a while, she's, man, you know, I, sometimes I just ramble on. And I say, it's okay. Have I heard the story five times before? Of course I have. <laughs> but I like to hear it. Because it's her story. It's her life. And I don't know what it's going to be like when they're gone. I know Marie's gone. So the 58, that's an empty birthday. Go to the headstone, put some flowers on there. That's it. But the other two, they're hanging on with both hands. I try not to think about when they're gone. I'm trying to be respectful. But in this time period, I've, it's, it's difficult because I get so tired. I myself turned 50 this year. And I'm not in the best shape. When Dad and Marie went, I was much younger, much more able. But in my own way, I am starting to fade. And I think that the, the concept when you, when you start talking about time, for the human mind, it, it's got to be in the aesthetic. When you see someone that's wrinkled and their hair is thinning, they're a little bit hunched over. And you look at that photograph and you say, that's where you came from. Wow. You have lived a long time. And I've always believed that life is about quality, not quantity. People can be on this earth over a hundred years and not do a damn thing, never go anywhere. But when you are physically to a point where you can't do that kind of stuff, your reality is about your past, what you used to do, because that's what my mom talks about. That's what my grandma talks about.
The reality has nothing to do with present tense. It has nothing to do with what's going on right now in this moment. Because in this moment, there is nothing but suffering. And that suffering has to do with waiting. You're not waiting to live, you're waiting to die. Or at least that's how I see it. I know this isn't new. The revelation is not, uh, it isn't a eureka. I knew about it when I was in school. I read about it, case studies, observational studies, surveys, Davidson County, Putnam County. It's not new. But this is not paper. This is reality. Well, I got things to do. Always got things to do. It's not the things that I want to do, but I have to do them anyway. You have been listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and I say to you with a full heart, may you be a blessing, and may you find serenity.